0: Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 50, the second paragraph. Hear our voice. As we've mentioned, the structure of the Amida, it's like a fundraising pitch, right? Three prayers where we praise God. We close with three prayers where we thank God. And sandwiched in there are the various requests, 13 requests. This is the last of the 13 requests, although we've been seeing them not just as requests, but as deep meditations, as connections, a request as a means to connect. You only ask people for things if you feel close to them. Right. And each of these prayers is a mechanism to which we develop our personal closeness with God. And that culminates with, Shema hear our voice. Lord our God, merciful Father, have compassion upon us and accept our prayers and mercy and favor. For you are God who hears prayers and supplications. Do not turn us away empty-handed from you, our King. You hear the prayer of everyone. Blessed are you, Lord, who hears prayer. The Midrash says that the original uh the first time this prayer was actually mentioned. Again, the Amida was not authored by Ezra and his court. It was just compiled by Ezra and his court. They compiled existing blessings. When the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt, and the Torah says that God heard our pain, He heard our iniquity, He saw and empathized with what we were going through. The ministering angels were praising God, and they said, Baruch ata shemei Blessed are you who hears prayers. And this... Prayer actually is an opportunity to actually ask for whatever you want. The various 12 requests prior were asking for specific things, whether it be health, sustenance, redemption, whatever it may be. But this prayer is where we ask. It's a wild card. You can ask for whatever you want. And there's actually a, um, a place where you can. Insert your own personal requests in the actual prayer. By the way, the the biblical mitzvah of prayer, right? What did they do before the (laughs) Amida? What is is the bare bones mitzvah of prayer? Ask God for your needs, right? Where we recognize our dependence on Him. That's where this prayer comes in. This, in some ways, is like the center of the Amida in many ways. So if you look in the Hebrew, the second to last line the sentence starts with ki ata do you see it right before ki ata insert your own personal request from God in any language in your language doesn't have to be in Hebrew ki ata shomeya because you listen to you listen to the prayers of everybody Now, what happens if I don't feel worthy of praying to God? It's not a good attitude. It's not a healthy attitude. But that attitude is inevitable, at least to some people. It happens, right? There's times where I'm gonna bother God. I, I haven't come. I haven't uh, conversed with Him much till. It doesn't always feel good, or perhaps we don't feel. That we've been behaving consistent with what God wants. I haven't been listening to him. Why would he listen to me? And where would I get the audacity to ask him for things? Okay, throw away that attitude. Not good, no good. (laughs) Because the biblical commandment of prayer is ask God for your needs when you have needs. That's the mitzvah. God wants it. God wants to hear our prayers. But here's something fascinating. You remember the story of Yaakov and Esav, the twins, right? They had very different lifestyles. (laughs) Very different lifestyles. Yitzchak, Isaac, though, wanted to give the birthright blessing to Esav, so the more evil twin. Rivka says it's got to go to Yaakov, and she contrives this whole plan while Esav is going out hunting, getting food for his father, to present to him when he gets his birthright blessing. She dresses Yaakov in sheepskins. And because Yisaf was all hairy. And she'll feel. And so when, when Yitzhak feels Yaakov, he was blind. When she feels him, she'll feel that, okay, this is, this is the right person, right? And we're going to fool Yitzhak. We're going to get that blessing. And the birthright is through this scheme is going to be passed down through Jacob, through Jacob's lineage. What happens? Yaakov walks in and Yitzchak and he utters something to the effect of like, thank God. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Never heard Esav mention God before. <laughs> he feels, he says, let me feel you. And he starts feeling him and he feels like Esav. And he says, HaKol Kol Yaakov Yadaimide the voice is the voice of Yaakov. He's talking like a Jew, but he feels like Asa. His hands are like the hands of Asa. Yitzchak was confused. There's a deeper meaning to this blessing, to this to, sorry, to this uh, episode. There's times in our life where, like Jacob, we want that blessing, but our hands were not in the right place. We weren't doing the right things. We weren't necessarily behaving consistent with our values. Perhaps we gave in to temptations that we shouldn't have. Our hands were like the hands of Esau. It doesn't matter. Because we say, God, don't listen to our hands. What does the prayer say? Shema kolayinu, listen to our voice. Even if our hands are in the wrong place, even if we haven't been behaving properly, even if this is not the life uh, we weren't, living up to the expectations you wanted don't list, don't look at what we do look at who we are don't look at our hands look at our voice a voice is something spiritual can't see a voice you could see hands look deeper within us look at the soul look at our deepest inner desire Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, known as the Rebbe Maharash, was once on a train, and this is going back. I'm going to estimate um, a little less than two centuries ago, maybe a century and three quarters. And at this point in history, there was an incredible amount of tension between. Uh, traditional Jews and particularly rabbis and a group of Jews called the Maskilim. Maskilim were the Jews that were head, uh, basically heading the Enlightenment movement. Which goes something like this. I have an idea. Let me follow what my mind says instead of what God wants. Right. And they, they were still following texts of Judaism, but they were using their own subjective interpretation because they were enlightened, they were brilliant, right? Instead of the traditional tr- interpretation that we had from Mount Sinai for thousands of years. And they had an agenda. They weren't just trying to break away from Judaism. They had an agenda to break away other people from Judaism as well. And they were called the Masculim, which literally translates as the the enlightened ones. It's more of a facetious type. Um, And there was a lot of beef between traditional um, Jews, believers, against these Masculim. In these masculine would would use all sorts of, you know, they would many of them were fluent in Tanakh in the Bible, and they would start to the point that Jews started in more traditional communities, started focusing less on Bible and more on Talmud just so they could avoid having to like dialogue with these people. <laughs> it was um, it was quite strenuous. And the beef was so strong to the extent. That a group of Maskelim, of enlightened Jews, hired a hitman to go and kill Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch. Because he's giving up their operation, he's giving up their, their whole thing. Right? Sometimes a little too much faith. <laughs> it's getting in the way, man. There's obviously more details to the story, but he was fighting hard. Right, because this is what Chabad has been doing since day one—is fighting for Judaism, fighting for the light of genuine, authentic Judaism. And he was getting in the way, and it was causing a lot of riff. Rav Shmuel of is on a train, and this hitman hires, uh, sorry, um, tracks him down, enters his cabin, and Rav Shmuel looks at him, just gives him this look. you hear this often, anybody who's met the Lubavitcher Rebbe, their description, what is their description? Right? Some sort of incredible, like, charisma. Right? You hear everybody, unequivocally. anybody who's met the Rabbit, they always, I don't think I've heard anybody not say this, who met the rabbit, that there's this incredible charisma, he's looking at you, you feel like you're the only person there, and he's just seeing through you. Right? That's what, that's what, uh, Righteous people, look at your soul. Because they're looking f- through the perspective of the soul. Right? We know that from Tanya. The more soul-oriented we are, the more we see somebody else's soul. Right? Chapter 32 of Tanya. Okay. So, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch gives him this look. That the guy just freezes. And he says, Rabbi Shmuel says to him, Jews should not have the hands of asaph We have the voice of Yaakov. Hand over what's in your pocket. The guy pulls out the gun, hands it to Rabbi Shmuel, and Shmuel throws it out the window. And he says, you've been brainwashed. But it's never too late to do Teshuva. It's never too late to return. It's never too late to come home. And Rab Shmuel of Lubavitch took out his tefillin, and they put on tefillin, the davens to Hashem. Even if the Yadaim, even if our hands are like the hands of Asa, why would God want to hear from me? It doesn't matter. The voice is the voice of Yaakov. He does want to hear from you. Because even if our body is never in the right place, our soul is... Uh, you know, the, the, the body could become captive, but the soul can never become totally uh, captivated, if you will. Totally lost. The person can always return. The meditation of this prayer, if we're going to recite it later tonight or later at some point, Shema Koleinu, think about this when you're saying the prayer, God, listen to my voice. Don't look at what I've been doing, please. (laughs) Look at who I am. Um, I'm going to look at the Hebrew for a second. I'm going to refer to the Hebrew. Because the Hebrew is always easier for me. Um, sometimes the English is it's funny. Okay, let's let's read and translate real quickly. You're with me from the beginning. Shema kaleinu, listen to our voice, Hashem alakenu, Lord our God, of harachaman. Father of mercy, Rachim aleinu have mercy on me. See me as a child. We want God to see us as a child, not as an employee. Because employees are on the clock. <laughs> Children are not on the clock. You're not at. A, you're not a child from certain hours to certain now. You're always a child. Once a child, always a child, right? See us as a child. Have this infinite love. receive or accept. with mercy. Second line, Receive with mercy and ratzon. What does ratzon mean? Ratzon means desire. Et filatino our prayers. Receive our prayers with desire.
1: So, when you said that word, I, I, I was thinking, oh, but that's not. I mean, okay, yeah. S- let it way. be so. Uh,
0: let it be your will.
1: Let it be your will. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, ratzon means will or desire. We want you, God, to desire our prayers. What does that mean? What is the difference between intellect versus will or desire? You know what the difference is? You can justify intellect. You have to justify intellect. <laughs> it has to be justifiable. It's discerning. Whereas when you want something, there's no discernment. So... If there was something you really wanted. I can't talk you out of it. Because even if I explain why it doesn't make sense. You still want it. Um, whereas if what you wanted was because it made sense. As soon as it doesn't make sense anymore. Don't want it anymore. Right? Emotion acceptance, let's say, acceptance that is founded on intellect is as uh, stable as the intellect itself, right? But what if acceptance is not because I think you should be accepted, it's because I want you to be accepted. You see the difference? If I'm accepting you because I think you should be accepted, somebody else is going to come and explain, maybe you shouldn't be accepting this person. Oh, you're right, I'll change my mind. But if I want to accept you, you can't talk me out of desire. It doesn't work. It won't work. Desire is deeper than reason. Desire our prayers. Maybe it's not reasonable that we be answered. Maybe we're not deserving of it. That's okay. Because the acceptance is not because it makes sense, the acceptance is because this is what you want. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, says that when a person prays, they should never claim to be deserving. Never say, God, this is what I've done. This is what I have to show for myself. Here's my spreadsheets. Here's my uh, graphs. (laughs) Here's how my year went. Can you please reciprocate? Don't do that. Why not? Don't bring judgment on yourself. <laughs> God is exacting. If we're going to be exacting, God will be exacting. We don't want God to be exacting. We all have plenty of shortfalls. We all have deficiencies. Nobody's perfect. The better approach is, God, I know I'm not deserving. I know I'm not perfect, but you're merciful. You're benevolent. In other words, we're not expecting goodness because we deserve it. We're anticipating goodness because God is good. See the difference? We're not expecting goodness because we deserve goodness. We're anticipating goodness because God is good because God listens to our voice doesn't look at our hands.
1: So this seems to be um a parallel discussion uh, about um someone being someone having humility. Right? Um if you're humble and you're, you know, which I I'm making that 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 analogous to considering yourself not deserving um you know not not expecting right uh is that a correct parallel to draw
0: it 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 is yes that is humility um in other words this is the result of humility it takes humility to have that perspective right to to have expectations is arrogant right to be entitled is an, is an arrogant thing and the moment we are entitled, we feel entitled, God says, well, one second, <laughs> let's do a more thorough review here. We don't want that. We don't want a thorough review. We don't need a thorough review. We know we're imperfect, but that, that's humbling. When I say, I, I know I'm perfect, I, you're you are a nice guy. I'm putting it on you and not on me, right? That—that's uh, that, That's incredibly humbling. Like right, this is an incredible model for relationships this is a relationship with God God sustain this relationship because I'm incredible right how does that sound <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's, yeah it's it's ama- it's amazing how many of the things that we talk about really um uh are they 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 providing the same message in different ways so like you know now this 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 makes me think about um uh, Bittol, right? Like, oh, if 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 you're consumed with yourself, you're leaving no space for Hashem, right? Um, and, and, you know, ego and all that, it, it, it's really all delivering message, this, a, a similar message in a different way.
0: Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's really the bottom line of the Siddur and really everything in Judaism, but the Siddur is a framework to develop Bittol. Healthy bittle, right? There's unhealthy bittle. It doesn't mean bittle nullification, if you will, or it doesn't mean I'm nothing. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean to 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 focus on how insignificant we are, or it doesn't mean to think less of ourselves. It means to think about ourselves less. That's bittle. Bittel means to become open to something larger than ourselves. right? The, the classic example in halacha in Jewish law is you can't mix milk and meat, and if you have a big cholent or big chicken soup and a drop of milk falls in, if there's 60 times the amount of meat than there is milk, kosher, right? The milk becomes bittel. But here's what the halachic authorities say. It's not that the milk lost its identity because the soup is so large. It's that the milk took on a new identity. It literally became meat. Bitol means I'm open to something larger and I'm willing to become part of it. Part of a bigger plan. Part of something bigger than myself. And, and the, the the goal of the sitter, if there was a, you know, what what changes from before I open this book till after I open this book? Theoretically, for going through all these internal messages, is I'm part of something larger. The, the the I'll tell you something quite ironic. This is, on Rosh Hashanah. What is the theme of Rosh Hashanah? We're coordinating God. God is our king. This is this message will be applicable every day, not just Rosh Hashanah. We're coordinating God as our king, and amidst the prayers, we're asking God for our needs. So, is this about God or is it about us? Isn't that ironic?
1: Gimme give, give me one second.
0: I'm with okay. We appreciate the commercial break. <laughs> Life lesson is don't give kids a nap towards the end of the day. Otherwise, they don't go to sleep on time. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay, so we're coordinating God as our king. We're asking for our needs on Rosh Hashanah. Or even on a daily basis, we recognize that God is the Melech HaOlam, the king of the world. And God, listen to my prayers. It's kind of a funny thing. But another way to look at it is the only reason why I have my own needs, and that's okay, is because I feel like I'm part of something bigger. In other words, my needs are part of my role in God's world. That's why I have needs. I need to pay my bills because I need to bring God to this world, that I can't do that if I don't pay my bills. But that's bittel. I'm focusing on what I need from the perspective of bittel. What I need is it has a larger context. What I need could be actually what God needs. Now, another result of this bittel perspective. I'm glad you re- you mentioned bittel. Because another perspective, another result, you know, what what is the difference between Bittel and, well, let's say being soul-oriented, we'll call Bittel, for lack of better words, being soul-oriented versus body-oriented. God, don't look at our hands, hear our voice, right? Same duality, same parallel. How I view other people. How I connect with other people. The holier than thou attitude is a body perspective. Because there's me and there's thou. (laughs) There's you. Two separate things. That's Two separate bodies. Doesn't work that way. That's not Judaism. Judaism is we're all part of one bigger picture. We all have that same soul. We all stood at that mountain together to receive the Torah. Like one person with one heart. We were literally like one person. A person who has bitl, who's focusing on the voice and not on the hands, can see other people's voices, can see the spiritual side of other people, can appreciate the spiritual side of other people, can connect better with other people. And that's why we say, right right after that spot where you can insert your own prayer, let's take a look at the second to last line in the Hebrew. Ki. Ki ata. See it? Ki ata because you, shomea, you listen. Te filat to the prayers, kolpe, Of In English, it says of everyone. Kolpeh means every mouth. You listen to the prayers of every mouth. But the English is more of a loose translation. You listen to everybody's prayers. You hear the prayers of everyone. But pa means mouth. Call peh, you listen to the prayers of every single mouth. Even other people, everybody Doesn't matter who. It doesn't say you listen to the prayers of the righteous. You listen to the prayers of the wise. You listen to You listen to the prayers of every mouth. And sometimes it's just a mouth speaking. Sometimes we're not even focusing on the kavana. Sometimes we're not even focusing on our own spirituality. We're just Our mouth happened to have been moving because we're supposed to be praying. (laughs) It's the mouth. It's not even the prayer. God is still going to listen. All mouths doesn't matter who. Even he's not just listening to the prayers of our heart. The prayers of our mouth. You got to think about this when we're praying tomorrow because this is amazing. The Baal Shem Tov used to say that God is in love with us like a parent would be in love with an only child that they were begging to have for years. They finally had a child in their old age and they're just spoiling that kid. God is in love with us. Even if we're just praying with our mouth, not our heart, God is open to that.
1: So you'll, you'll you'll never guess what I'm I was studying with Rabbi Raleigh today. So doing brachas, right? Studying uh, when it's oh, <clears throat> when it's required to have intent, and when it's mm. not required to have intent while reciting the Shema. Okay. So this is like <laughs> right,
0: right, A- and look, we're this whole class that we're having now is founded on the is, you know, it's trying to empower us to have more intent. But technically, other than that one line of Shema, we could just pray verbally. I, it's obviously not ideal. We want to get more meaning out of it. But but the point is that that God is valuing everybody and listening to everybody equally. Even to those who are praying just with their mouth, He's giving them a chance. You have the City of Refuge referred to in the Torah, right? Somebody who accidentally murders somebody. And now people want to take revenge on him, so he has to run to the safety zone, the city of refuge. These were the cities where the Levites lived. Because when the Jews first moved to Israel, all tribes, 11 of the tribes, would uh, divide up the land equally, or not equally, depending on how large the tribes were, and there was the region of Judah, the region of Binyamin, the region, where did the Levites live? They didn't have their own land. Right? They didn't need land. They didn't need a farm. They didn't need a cell. They didn't need crops because they were supported by the taxpayers, by all the other Jews. They would receive the gifts, the gifts that go to the Kohen, the gifts that go to the Levi, the tithings. You know why they didn't work for a living? They were living a life of service. They worked in the temple. They worked in the Beit HaMikdash. And when they were off, off off-duty, where would they live? There were various cities allocated for these people, but they didn't own the land. And that's where the city of refuge would take place. You would live with, you know, somebody murdered somebody, even if it was by accident. You know, there's still a little bit of character that may need refining there. And maybe it wasn't by accident, right? He's running away. He takes refuge in the city and he's now surrounded by good people, by people of service. Hopefully that will have an influence on him. When does he get to leave the city of refuge? When the Cohen Gadol dies. As soon as the Cohen Guddle dies, he gets to leave the city of refuge and if no court case or if things weren't amended yet, he loses his safety. The Cohen Guddle, his mother used to make food for people and uh, would give it out to people for free because she wanted people to be happy. She didn't want the Avengers to pray that the Cohen Guddle dies so that they could meet their subjects. So she would make them soup. And make them various foods keep them happy what's she concerned about a murderer's prayer that's what she's worried about <laughs> the prayer of a murderer <laughs> she's worried that a murderer might pray that the Khan guddle dies like God's gonna listen to that <laughs> she's so concerned that she has to go make food to keep them happy she understood the power of prayer even from somebody. Who may have be who may be of ill rapport, <laughs> even if somebody who's less than perfect, even if somebody who has the hands of asap they still have the voice of Yaakov. They could still be heard by God. Even if we at times feel less than perfect. God says, I don't want your actions, although He I want you. He wants us to do the actions, right? So that's a but but what he really wants is us. And we tapped into that. It's funny because it's all, but it's empowering. It's actually empowering. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.